0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. We are swimmingly excited about this one because it is about sea monkeys.
0: Jerry, is mama sea monkey?
1: Yeah, she's got her little blonde bob hairdo going on.
0: And I guess we're uh baby sea monkeys.
1: I guess. Yeah, that's that's cool. We'll let some we'll we'll let the dad not exist. Okay? <laughs> we're brothers. That's right. I think that's a good
0: move. With a non-existent father, which really explains a lot about us.
1: A <laughs> <laughs> non-existent sea monkey father, no less. Yeah. So Chuck, um, I realized that I don't know something about you, which is weird because we've been doing this for almost 10 years. And
0: we're Sea Monkey Brothers.
1: We, we are. We know a lot about one another. We know one another's smells, mm. um, looks, mm-hmm. uh, scowls, all yes. sorts of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Triumphs, victories. One thing I don't know about you is whether you were into comic books as a kid. Well, glad you asked. <laughs>
0: I feel like we've talked about this at some point, but um, maybe not. I – yeah, we have for sure. Um, okay. Because remember I read Archie and Richie Rich?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and I wasn't su- – well, here's a couple of things. I read Archie and Richie Rich growing mm-hmm. up and um, didn't get into the superhero comics much because I don't know why. Uh, but then also, you don't know this part. Okay. We used to go to visit my grandmother on my – Uh, father side.
1: She was big time into Thor. (laughs)
0: Granny Thor. Uh, she lived in Jackson, Tennessee. And it was, uh, I had sort of the modern grandparents with cable TV who lived in a condo. Yeah. And then old school granny who lived in a house in the country. Mm -hmm. And so Granny, Granny Bryant didn't have uh, TV or anything like that. But what she did have in the back room was, a bunch of my dad and Uncle um, Ed's old toys and comic books from when they were kids. Nice. So I think they were mainly Uncle Eddie's. So I got uh, – I had a big stack of comics from, I guess, the 1960s mm-hmm. uh, that were like Man from Uncle. Um, I'm trying to read – I'm trying to think of a few more. No superhero stuff, but just those weird sort of uh, – I guess it wasn't weird, but – Man from Uncle is the only one I can remember, but it's a little weird. <laughs> long story short is because that's all the entertainment we had to ingest. Mm-hmm. We would, my brother and I, would go back there and read those every year for years.
1: That's pretty awesome. Those Did same you, comics. So you made your way through that stack multiple times.
0: Oh, many, many times. Gotcha. Like but, I remember the ads. I remember. I remember everything about them.
1: So then you remember, obviously, I think you probably knew where I was going with this from the outset. You remember the ads for the sea monkeys then.
0: I remember sea monkeys. Mm-hmm. I remember X-ray specs. Sure. Which we'll get into. And I remember for sure all the ads for, uh like, can you draw this parrot or pirate?
1: Oh, yeah. Remember for that? Like, for the art school. Yeah. What was that? I think they just took your money and then sent you a degree for your art school. <laughs> Is that what it was? I'm pretty sure. Ugh, so disappointing. Yeah, but the, the turtle was pretty cool. He had, like, a newsy camp on and a turtleneck, and he just looked like he was ready to, to get mellow, you know?
0: Yeah, oh, you know, the other one, too, was the... uh the uh, Charles Atlas workout thing. Do you remember that? Oh
1: Yeah, where the uh, 98-pound weakling gets <laughs> sand kicked in his face. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, that's really playing on some uh, 15-year-old's insecurities, and it worked. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You know? What about you? I remember Sea Monkeys. There's one that always stuck out to me was a Bonkers ad from the 80s. This would have been way past your um, Man from Uncle era mm-hmm. comic books. But um I think I've asked you before the if you'd ever had bonkers. They're like these fruit chews, they were like just the the superior starburst. And there was a comic book ad in there with like this like kind of crotchety old lady in it. And I don't even remember the gist of it. I think maybe she was mad that the kid was eating bonkers and enjoying it. I don't know. But um I'll never forget that comic for some reason because the colors in it were just just perfect, and they struck my brain just right. So I've, I've always got that bonkers comic book ad in there too. And a lot of bubble, bubble yum comic book ads are stuck in there as well. Nothing that means anything really, and certainly nothing pertinent to this episode, except for that Sea Monkeys ad. Yeah, but
0: you and I were also into Mad Magazine big time, which mm-hmm. I, I believe was ad-free, wasn't it?
1: It was. They had like those fake ads. Oh yeah, of course. Which were pretty hilarious. Satirical ads. Sure. But no, I don't think they had any like actual ads in them, they were just strictly subscription based. That's right. So in that Sea Monkeys ad, if you'll remember correctly, and I think for many decades it was virtually the same thing. Yeah, it was this kind of group, this tribe of humanoid figures. It was a family. It was a family, but but exactly what kind of family they were <laughs> is really up for debate. So they they were kind of lanky. Like stringy, ropey arms and legs, mm-hmm. paunchy tummies, yeah, naked as the day they were born, sure, webbed feet, webbed tails, like the the end of their tail was like webbed, which, if you look closely, I think was probably just a device to cover dad's junk. In the, uh, in the illustration, <laughs> they're like, we need something on the end of their tail there, buddy. Uh, and it, this, this, this is like this classic illustration of the sea monkeys that apparently was done by this guy named Joe Orlando. Mad Magazine. Like, he, yeah, he's from Mad Magazine. Creepy Magazine is another one. Uh, he ran some, uh, comic lines at DC Comics for a while. He's kind of a legend, but he's also extremely well known outside of the comic world for having drawn that sea monkey family.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm looking at
1: it right now. Look at that.
0: It's, yeah,
1: I, it's <laughs> like unchanged. I know. And what's great too is we'll talk about later somebody some people went in and fiddled around with it, and if you look now, if you go to buy the sea monkeys now, mm-hmm. they're basically back to the way they were before.
0: Well, yeah, and we'll get to that too. You also didn't mention the castle, which is uh, kind of key because somehow they have these little crown-like heads and I mm-hmm. guess we're
1: kings of the 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 bowl. I, I guess. They were, yeah, they were a royal sea monkey family. Kings of the fishbowl and only so,
0: inhabitants, actually.
1: So if you, right, so you could proclaim yourself the royal family. You, mean and I have done that at our house. <laughs> So um, if you look closely at some of those ads, they say um, there's like a little fine print that says these are caricatures of sea monkeys. It's not actually what your sea monkeys look like, or it's an artist's interpretation or something like that. And it turns out that sea monkeys, and just prepare for your childhood to, to blow away like so much dust in the wind, Chuck. Sea monkeys don't actually exist. There's no such thing. Yeah. Did you know that already? Well, of course.
0: Well, sea monkeys uh, as sea monkeys don't exist. But they are real little living creatures that you buy and have shipped uh, in an envelope back in those days, in an envelope to your home.
1: And they are actually their own thing. So what they are ultimately is something called artemia or brine shrimp. Yes. But the guy who ended up calling them sea monkeys – was actually well within his right to call him something different than just Brian Shrimp because they're a hybrid version of Brian Shrimp. The guy who invented sea monkeys actually tinkered along with a microcrustaceans expert named uh, D'Agostino. I can't remember his first name.
0: I think when you have a name like D'Agostino, uh-huh. you can just go by that.
1: So so D'Agostino and this guy named uh, Harold von Broughten, or Broughten, uh, Braunhot, right? They got together and they actually took Brian shrimp and made them into something different, a hybrid version that we now know and love as sea monkeys.
0: Yeah, so the literal sea monkeys that you buy don't exist in nature. Right. They are a man-made creation. I don't think we can get that through clearly enough because it's pretty – scientifically, it's pretty amazing. And they did that because they they couldn't find – any of these brine shrimp varieties that would live uh, through the shipping process mm-hmm. and be able to be essentially rehydrated and brought to life to the delight of children, so they made them. Right. And there it There was no,
1: no clapping and squealing with original brine shrimp, right? No. So through these crossbreeding programs, they made brine shrimp. Brine shrimp were already, you could, I think you can still go to pet stores and buy them. They're a type of food. They're a pet food. Yeah. Um, and all, they're just like tiny little micro crustaceans and they enter into what's called cryptobiosis. Yeah. And they're basically, if you'll remember our tardigrade episode, Mm -hmm. they basically do the same thing that tardigrades do. They enter into the state of suspended animation, um, a desiccated state where they're just dried out and just sitting there waiting for the conditions to be right, to basically come back to life. That's what sea monkeys are.
0: Yeah, so you get this little package, uh, they're basic, they're brine shrimp eggs is what it is, uh, or what they are. And then you get purified water, put them in there. And, uh, I believe there's a growth formula as well, right? Yeah, that's like their food. It's like spirulina
1: and yeast, I believe.
0: Right. But it's, no one truly knows what the exact formulation for all this stuff is because it is locked in a vault in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was, it was the only one that worked and it was owned. Uh, owned by this, uh, Van Broughton character. Van Broughton? Braunhut. Braunhut. Yeah, no, it's a tough word, <laughs> a tough name to say. I've seen it a hundred times in the last, like, eight hours, but yeah. still.
1: Yeah. So um this, uh, until he died in 2003, Harold von Braunhut and his wife Yolanda were the only two people on the planet who knew what this special formula was that created those conditions. Because remember, you've got sea monkeys, little brine shrimp, that are in the state of cryptobiosis, this dried-out, desiccated state. And when you put them just into regular tap water, they don't necessarily come to life. There's something in that powder that alters the pH and the salinity and makes it just perfect for them to emerge from this cryptobiosis almost instantaneously. Yeah. In fact, early on, the sea monkeys were originally just called instant life, I believe is what they, the name they were originally marketed <laughs> under. Yeah. Not the best, not the best name. No,
0: uh, and it is, it's weird that, um, that name was chosen because it turns out that uh, Harold Von Braunhut is or was a marketing genius. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he wrote the original
1: 32-page booklet that I believe still comes with the sets. Is that right? I couldn't find evidence of that, and I was looking online to find a transcription of it and was very surprised to find no one's done that. Like Seriously. you would think there'd be entire fan sites that are that this is like their Bible, you know, the original version of it and would have later editions of it. Couldn't find it anywhere.
0: Well, I don't know if it still comes with it, but for many, many, many years and even after his death, that original uh, prose, <laughs> was, which told this fantastical story. I mean, that's the whole point. It wasn't just like add water and you're all set. Right. It told the whole story of sea monkeys.
1: Yeah, it said things like, uh, you can, your sea monkeys can be hypnotized. You can train them to play baseball. Um, you can race them. They're, they're like, they love to race. Uh, there's all sorts of things. You can basically train them into a pack of friendly seals, I think is the way they put it. <laughs> it, it talked about like their, um, courtship and reproduction and just all sorts of stuff like it was yeah this guy's just basically do you remember that that treatment that george lucas wrote about wookies and and chewbacca's planet that got turned into the star wars Uh christmas special yeah this is the exact same thing but this is the sea monkeys world
0: right i would like to see I was about to say i'd like to see the sea monkeys tv show but i did
1: what did you think
0: did you watch any of it yeah i did yeah so there was a tv show in the 80s Um, starring Howie Mandel. (laughs) Yeah. It just really doesn't get any better. Like, who else would have been better than Howie Mandel for that?
1: It was Howie Mandel. He produced it as well, along with the Chiodo brothers, who were known for making killer clowns from outer space. Yeah,
0: so you know what you're kind of going to get there.
1: It is the definition of camp. Like, they watch Pee Wee's Playhouse, and they're like, this is kind of campy, but let's increase it by 35%. Yeah. And that's what they did.
0: It was not not long for this world, though. What, right?
1: No, and the thing is, is I don't know if we've gotten this across. It was live action. Oh yeah, right. It wasn't a cartoon. That's what made it so not just campy. That made it unsettling as well. Like the the actors were all done up as like sea monkeys, and it it was for kids, but it was obviously made by adults with a wink and a nod to other adults. It was a weird, weird, weird show.
0: Yeah, it was. uh I didn't see it. In, I only watched like a bit of one episode. I didn't see enough to judge the whole mm-hmm. 11, I think, episode lifespan. Mm-hmm. But it was like Sid and Marty Croft without
1: the uh, LSD. Right. It, it was with <laughs> PCP instead. <laughs> That's how it struck me. I was like, these people are on angel dust.
0: Yeah. But all this to say that it was – uh Was and continues to be a big selling item. Like kids loved sea monkeys. They bought them. And, uh, I mean, from what I can tell, when kids bought sea monkeys, they didn't care that they didn't look like those things. And they were just thought it was cool that something they got in the mail really did come to life.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you could raise them. And after, you know, after some tinkering, um, Von Braunhut, um, managed to get them to live for a while. So these were like pets to to the kids. Plus, I also think, Chuck, I suspect, and this is a big reason why sea monkeys were such a success, um... Von Braunhut, when he started to market these things early on, he was following immediately in the wake of something called Instant Fish that I right. think wham had tried to market and had failed terribly at. And he was going around trying to market something similar, and toy stores and retailers were like, we don't want anything to do with those. People almost lost their jobs over that Instant Fish stuff. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. So Von Braunhut, in a, in a stroke of genius, said, you know what? I'm going to go right to the source. So he started marketing directly to kids. He started hanging out at elementary school parking lots. He did. <laughs> and he'd be like, here, here, kid, come look at my minivan. I've got a bunch of stuff for you to choose from, right?
0: Yeah, well, the comic book thing was a stroke of genius. Um, how many, like three, three and a half million... Ads a year, was that it, or pages?
1: 303 million pages. Oh, wow. A year. And now, though so most of those were two-page inserts. Uh-huh. So that's 150 issues of, 150 million issues of comic books a year. I wonder how expensive that was. I don't know. I'm quite sure he got some deals over the years, because he started that marketing push in 1964. hmm And I I don't know exactly when it stopped, but it was well into the 90s that there were sea monkey um, ads in comic books still that were virtually the same as ever. Did you ever buy any of that stuff? I had a friend who had sea monkeys. I never did myself. Oh, but that was a point that I was getting away from um, that I wanted to make. I think one of the reasons sea monkeys were successful was because... It wasn't just that these things were pets or whatever. You ordered them yourself. Like, you handled this transaction yourself. Right. And you got to show your friends something that you purchased. Like, your parents didn't take you to the store or anything right. like that. You caught, you you contracted with this, this strange <laughs> man to buy these brine shrimp from him, and they arrived, and you followed the instructions, and now they're floating around. Yeah.
0: Well, you probably got mom or dad to cut you a 49-cent a check. Mm-hmm. Or have them cut a check, uh, or, or, you know, you, you maybe got the funds from your lemonade stand and converted that to a, there you go. a cash bond. Yep. Uh, a convertible bond. note. <laughs> a bearer <laughs> bond. I don't know what any of that stuff is. Uh, but yeah, so you probably had a little assistance from mom and dad, or maybe you put a dollar in an envelope.
1: I'll bet many kids did. I wonder if Braunhut sent, the, the, sent change? the change back or was like, I'm keeping this change kid. Just to teach you a lesson, not to send a dollar bill in the mail anymore.
0: Yeah, because you can't send change in the mail, right?
1: Right. So, I mean, suffice to say, sea monkeys were and are just like one of the classic toys of all time, largely because of the way they were marketed, right?
0: Well, yeah, and Von Braunhut, this was not his only jam. He had close to 200 patents on everything. Like, you know, we mentioned the X-ray specs Mm -hmm. uh, and that great, great ad of – of the guy looking at his hand, or the, <laughs> or the uh, sexist misogynistic ad of him leering at a woman in a dress. Right. Uh, and X-ray specs were very disappointing um, yeah. when you got those because they were, it was, it was two pieces of cardboard mm-hmm. uh, with little pinholes that you look through, and in between the cardboard where that pinhole is is a feather.
1: Right. And so what it did was it basically projected two overlapping images of the same thing so the edges around the outside of it were just kind of fuzzier than the middle basically yeah. supposedly <laughs> that was what an x-ray of your hand looked like yeah so that that's
0: a case of um fraud <laughs> yeah a good way to put it <laughs> or what about the invisible goldfish that was another one is
1: that is that's so fraudulent that it's just beautiful. <laughs> it's elegant in its fraudulence.
0: Well, but it's almost not fraudulent because here was the deal: he sold what was called invisible goldfish, mm-hmm. uh, which basically means nothing. He sold nothing successfully.
1: Right. It was a, a the kit came with the fishbowl, fish food, and instructions, and that was it. <laughs> And the, there there is a guarantee that you would never see your invisible fish well, cuz they would remain invisible.
0: Yeah, and that what's I think that is the distinction that makes it not fraud. Right. Is he basically said you're not going to see anything in this bowl.
1: Yeah. And and that was that.
0: Uh what else did he do?
1: Um he had, he invented balderdash. Oh, game. that's right. He also invented those um, dolls' eyes where you lay your doll back uh-huh. and its eyes close. He invented those.
0: Yeah, he invented that that technology, which is uh, was a game changer for creepy baby dolls.
1: He also, even before his days of inventing, he was a, a, a an interesting guy. Basically, his whole life, he um, he raced motorcycles and cars under the name the Green Hornet. Mm-hmm. He was a talent manager for a couple of people. One was a mentalist. Yeah, what? talent,
0: talent manager like, uh, Broadway Danny Rose was a talent manager.
1: Okay. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to go <laughs> along with it. What is yeah. that? Is that, what, what's that from? The name's familiar, but I don't know who It, it, was, it was a
0: Woody that. Allen movie where he played, okay. that was, a, it was a talent manager that managed like, you know, um, people like this that would, the high divers that would dive into shallow pools and, mm-hmm. uh, mentalists. And, and this guy was even a, uh, wasn't he a mentalist for a little while? I didn't see that. I
1: wouldn't be at all surprised,
0: yeah, I think he did a little work as the great something
1: did you see- well, he managed a guy named the great Danager. I didn't get whether that was him or not, though it could have been
0: no, 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 that was an, that was that was him, and he had his own act for a oh gotcha,
1: while. okay, did you see the guy who who the the high dive guy? did you see his jump? No, oh my, okay, there's a guy named Henri Lamothe, I believe, yeah. He, yeah, Henri Lamothe, if you go look him up, uh, H-E-N-R-I-L-A-M-O-T-H-E, you're going to be treated to an AP video that was shot in the early 70s from the looks of it, where he's opening up for an evil Knievel act in a parking lot in God knows where in New Jersey. And he climbs up this ladder, a 40-foot ladder, and below, beneath, is one of these tiny little kiddie pools mm-hmm. filled with like 18 inches of water. And this guy, who who is clearly in his mid seventies, maybe older, dives forty feet into eighteen inches of water in a kiddie pool, belly first. He does basically a belly flop and immediately stands up with like ta da! It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and and this guy, Harold von Braunhut, managed that guy back in the day.
0: Uh, yeah, okay, he wasn't a he was a, a magician. Okay. who worked under the name The Great uh, Telepo. That's a pretty good name. And he also invented something called the Directomat, which was this device where you punch in your destination, in New York, like you're in New York City, you punch in your destination, and the machine told you the fastest subway route.
1: Oh, that's smart.
0: It was Google Maps.
1: That's very smart. Like 50 but, years early. But using, like, punch cards instead of, you know, real technology.
0: Basically. But, I mean, the guy, you know... Not only was he a marketing genius, he had a real knack for inventing some successful useful things.
1: So he had this other thing that you could get for like 59.95. Uh and it was actually a weapon, so much so mm-hmm. that he he was stopped at LaGuardia Airport in 1979 and arrested because he had a briefcase of samples of this stuff that he was selling I think through mail order. And it was called the um what what is Koyoga Agent M5?
0: Yeah, the Kyoga Agent N5, it's uh, basically a, a telescoping metal whip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've seen the telescoping uh, batons and things right. that uh, cops can use, I guess. Or I guess. Sure. anybody can use them. And do. <laughs> I actually had one of those for a little while for some reason. Did you really? I did. I thought, you know what, I'm not a gun guy, but I thought, I'll put this thing in the floorboard of my car. Sure. And if anyone ever... Reaches their hand in the window, then they're gonna, gonna get a give... wrapped knuckle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Smart. That's funny.
0: I don't know where it went though. It didn't telescope properly, so I was like, "That's probably not good."
1: No, it's not because you. I mean, that's not what you want, and you. Plus, you have to practice with that kind of thing. It's a. It's a big commitment. You just turning and running is way better.
0: Well, yeah, just I went back to plan A, which is poop, poop my pants and cry.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> and hopefully that works.
1: No one wants to punch a guy who's just pooped his pants, you know. All right, so the <laughs>
0: not in the butt at least. Right. Um so this M five uh telescoping wa- or uh, whip mm-hmm. um all right, this is where things get weird. Oh, yeah. And we'll we'll set this up right before the ad break. Um, because it turns out that Mr. Von Brohut. <laughs> Mr. Von Brownhut uh was perhaps uh, almost certifiably a uh white nationalist aryan nazi
1: sure is that fair to say i think so
0: all right and we'll, we'll get to that right after this
1: if you want to know then you're in luck just listen, listen up to josh, josh and chuck stuff you should know stuff you should Okay, Chuck, I'm sure everybody just bit the tips of their fingers off waiting for those ads (laughs) to finish so we could get back to it. Is it fair to call him a Nazi? So here's the thing. It has been so thoroughly documented by legitimate sources like the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times. His own mouth? The, yes, yeah, his own mouth. The, um, Jewish Anti-Defamation League. I believe, I, I don't know if the Southern Poverty Law Center actually tracked him or not, but this guy has definitely been identified as somebody who is, has, was a longtime contributor to white nationalist Groups, specifically the Aryan Nations out of Idaho, which is one of the original white hate groups in the United States. That's right. Here's the problem with that. This is the guy who invented sea monkeys. (laughs) Problem number two is that if you ever sent your money off, To buy some sea monkeys, some of that money had a very good chance of having been turned around and given to the Aryan nation. And herein lies a real moral conundrum for a lot of people, understandably so. Yeah, so – well, I didn't
0: see – did he just give money, period?
1: Yes, but – the. People are saying, I gave you some of that money for sea monkeys. Who knows what dimes and nickels that I gave you went to Aryan Nation. I don't want any money going to Aryan Nation. So I feel horrible that my money went to you, which you turn in turn gave to the Aryan Nation.
0: Right. However, this M5 was uh, – there was a man named Richard Butler. Um, mm-hmm. This guy was – a real piece of human garbage.
1: He was the founder of the Aryan Nation.
0: Yeah, he was the worst. Uh, he's not with us anymore, thankfully. Uh, but he, he was a very bad man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was brought, uh, brought up on trial and basically this, uh, M5, uh, little, uh, telescoping whip that was invented by von Braunhut, that was specifically, uh, used that, that, that product and proceeds from that specifically went to a fund to help out Richard Butler.
1: Right. Like, so, we know
0: that for sure.
1: Yeah. Everything's going along for Harold von Braunhut um, pretty swimmingly until the late 80s, right? In the late 80s, Richard Butler is brought up along with, I think, 14 or 15 other white nationalist leaders on sedition charges, basically trying to overthrow the government through plotting assassinations, Um uh, trying to start a race war. They were they had some serious charges against them. They were eventually acquitted of these charges, yeah. but but as part of this defense fund in the Aryan Nation newsletter, um Richard Butler talks about the Kyoga, uh, uh agent M5 as a great, you know, um a great tool for every Aryan nationalist to have, a great weapon and and defense mechanism. And if you order this thing, on the order form, write the letters A-N for Aryan Nation. And the inventor of this project, pro- product has pledged that 25 of those $60 will be given to my defense fund. So now all of a sudden, for the first time ever, the guy who invented sea monkeys is tied to the guy who founded the Aryan Nation um, hate group.
0: Yeah, and this was just like the beginning of the can of worms uh which he did not invent the can of worms, but he should have. <laughs> right. uh, it was the beginning of that being open because, uh, like you said, late uh, late 80s, what was it, 88, I think, uh, and the Washington Post basically mm-hmm. got a hold of this story, did some investigating, and found that he was involved in, quote, some of the most extreme racist and anti-Semitic organizations in the country. Mm-hmm. Um But here's the deal. Like, there are quotes from his mouth that say things about – uh, inscrutable slanty Korean eyes uh, when dealing with Korean shop owners and talking about uh, Jews and black people, like literal quotes. Yet when he's finally contacted, th- this great article that we kind of started with um, was when he was still alive. He would deny that this was that this was him, right? And but not try and clear it up or anything. Basically, just say that's a bunch of bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were newsletters, uh, written for an organization called the National Anti-Zionist Institute, uh, mm-hmm. written by one Hendrik von Braun, but the return address <laughs> was the same PO box that you sent off to get sea monkeys.
1: Yeah. Sea monkey, like paraphernalia, still today, same address.
0: So it's not very, yeah, it's in Maryland, which is where he, he lived. Right. Uh,
1: so he wasn't like covering his tracks very well at all. So he, so all that started, uh, that Washington Post, uh, expose specifically also came out of a property dispute. He, he later claimed that all of these were lies and that they were drummed up by somebody he was in a property dispute with. I think there was a developer who was encroaching on his land and he was suing them. And I think he said that the developer had brought all this up. The thing is, whether the developer exposed it or not or tipped the Washington Post off to this or not, this is already like, pretty well-known in the toy industry. Supposedly, yeah. And pretty well-documented. Like, it wasn't just that this um Harold von Braunhut gave money to the Aryan nation. Like, he would go to their annual rally in Idaho mm-hmm. and light the cross himself. He would... um he would speak at some of their their um, conferences and apparently not very well received. <laughs> I thought
0: that's pretty funny Like that he, he would, wasn't like the best speaker.
1: <laughs> no, it, he would, he would kind of go off on topics that the Aryans weren't particularly interested in, like numerology or the pyramids or how it all tied together. Yeah. But the thing is, he had a lot of money and he was apparently quite willing to give it. Now, no one has – we have to say, no one has ever documented a penny – Uh, That was given to the Aryan nation. The closest thing to a smoking gun is that newsletter from Richard Butler saying that the inventor of this has pledged $25 per but the very fact that he was basically allowed into the orbit of richard butler himself strongly suggests that he he actually followed through on those campaign pledges and legal defense fund pledges and and apparently a former spokesman for the aryan nation who is now a reformed racist he says um spoke out about uh, harold von braunhut and said he didn't know exactly how much he gave but he gave a lot and he gave pretty frequently when he was asked
0: Right, so things get a little weirder here because it turns out that von Braunhut was actually Jewish. <laughs> he was born, uh, to Jeanette Cohen and Edward Braunhut, not von Braunhut. Right. Out of that little von mm-hmm. to, uh, I guess Germanize him. I guess so. Uh, and he was born in New York City on March 31st, 1926 as Harold Nathan Braunhut and If you know anything about Aryan nations or any of those groups, they don't take kindly to a Jewish guy, even if he's like rebukes that to being a member. Right. But like you said, he had a lot of dough. And that's basically why everyone thinks they allowed him to stay on as a member.
1: Yeah. So the the 1988 Washington Post article did a couple of things. One, it outed the inventor of sea monkeys as an Aryan white supremacist. Or I should say, just a white supremacist. He was an Aryan. It also outed him as a non-Aryan, as a Jewish person, mm-hmm. uh, born Jewish to Jewish parents, about as Jewish as you can possibly get, aside from being, um, a practicing Jew, right? So he, he was outed in this, in this Washington Post article like two times over. So everybody was mad at him from either side, right? The, the thing is, is, like, even after, I guess the Aryan Nation released a a, 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 press release about this saying that they were disappointed to find out this guy that they were friends with was actually Jewish, but he was not kicked out of their circle. He stayed apparently as, as entracted as he was before and still was, was a part of the organization's conferences and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And he, it wasn't just, uh, the Aryan Nations. He, uh, in 1985, the Washington Post says uh, that U.S. Attorney Thomas Bauer, uh, there was a weapons case in 1985 against a member of the Klan, mm-hmm. um, Grand was, Dragon Dale Roche.
1: Yeah, it was in 1980, I think, that the transaction happened.
0: Okay, but the weapons case was in 1985. Gotcha. And uh, Van Braunhut basically loaned the guy $12,000 so he could buy more than 80 firearms. Yeah. Like here go buy a bunch of guns.
1: Well the okay, yes, and this is a a, a grand wizard of the clan, I believe, right? Yes. So the reason I pointed out that it happened in 1980, the year before the Washington Post had, had um drummed up in that 1988 article, the year before he had paid like $1300 for his parents' graves in a Jewish cemetery to be kept up in perpetuity. So this is like this, this is this weird dual life this guy is living, like born and raised Jewish, respecting his Jewish parents' funeral wishes and burial wishes. And then months later, helping a grand wizard of the KKK buy 83 firearms and then taking possession of the firearms himself until the loan was paid back. It's crazy. It is a little crazy. It's quite surprising, actually, too. I mean, that's like a big one-two punch, you know? Yeah, so he
0: didn't actually um, – he would do licensing deals over the years. That's how he ran his business, uh, probably smartly uh, to do that, uh, if you ask me. But over the years, there have been many, many companies that held the license for Sea Monkeys that he partnered with, and they all kind of had different reactions. Um, there was one called uh, Larmy Limited, uh, one called Basic Fun, one called Educational Insights. There may have been more. Today, it, it resides with uh, big-time toys. But – um the, this, uh, article that we dug up from when he was still alive, basically this guy gets in touch with a lot of these people, and some of them said they believe the story, that, um, it was just some story that this, uh, angry neighbor cooked up, mm-hmm. uh, to slander his name. Uh, other ones have said, yeah, you know what, um, I, everyone kind of knew about it, but we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna take that out on the sea monkeys. Right. <laughs> Um, and he was a nice guy to us. And what he does in his private time is no one's business.
1: Yeah, the thing is, is like some of the people that he was doing business with were Jewish and were taking some of the things he was doing in his private life personally themselves. Like the guy who was the president of Basic Fun, which <laughs> that's one of the worst names for a toy company <laughs> basic ever. Fun. It's like, don't get too excited. <laughs> this is just Basic Fun.
0: It was they had a spinoff company called Minimal Enjoyment,
1: right? <laughs> He, he, um, got the license, or his company got the license for Sea Monkeys to handle distributing and marketing Sea Monkeys, and, um, he apparently asked Von Braunhut, like, is this true? And Von Braunhut told him, no, there's this developer I'm in a dispute with who's, like, trying to drum up bad press. They're all lies. Well, within a year, the New York Times wrote an article about that um annual rally at the Aryan Nation compound in Idaho and said that Harold Von Braunhut had been a speaker there. So the guy from Basic Fun was like, yeah, that's it. I'm done with your contracts broken.
0: Yeah. I mean, that did happen sometimes over the years uh, and other times, you know, people, I guess money talks. So they were willing to put up with it.
1: Yeah. yep,
0: It's crazy. He, um, you know, like when he was called personally, he said, I don't have to defend myself to you or anyone else. I'm hanging up. Right. So it, I guess it was a time when, you know, pre Internet, pre social media where you could kind of get away with stuff like this a little easier.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, he was, yeah, it was just an open secret. And I think, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. When there's, like, this much money involved, and when you're talking about a brand where it's just, like, a beloved American icon. Yeah. Like, people just look the other way on the fact that you're a white supremacist, you know? It's it's bizarre, but that's apparently this is a story of how the world works in that respect.
0: Yeah, it was interesting for this one article, uh, I think from the early 2000s.
1: The, from the All?
0: Was that – oh, no, no, no. That was from 2011. The the other one was – um Oh, yeah, yeah. Th- that was when he had currently – uh the licensee was Educational Insights. Mm-hmm. And they, at the time – it was funny to go back and read this – that they were trying to update the image for the sea monkeys.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: and they had like – these draw—they hired some big advertising guy and marketing guy, and he came in and was basically like, "No, man, like kids these days, they don't want these little skinny pot-bellied uh, king, queen, uh, prince, and princess family." They want superheroes. So he buffed them up and put capes on them <laughs> yeah. and made a new jingle. And uh, they never went with any of that stuff. It kind of all went in the wastebasket, I think.
1: Well, one new thing did come out of it, and um, von or Harold Braunhut had uh, a patent on it. It was one of his last patents. It was a, a watch that you could inject a couple of live sea monkeys into, and they would live in there for 24 hours before, I guess, either they died or <laughs> if you could. Suck them back out and put them back in their aquarium. But you could walk around with your two favorite or luckiest sea monkeys for the day and tell time as well. So that was, there was at least one thing that came out of that updating. But if you go back and look, if you look at those, you're like, this is pretty lame. And you go back and look today at the sea monkey packaging. It's, it is basically back to how it was like in that Joe Orlando style. But if you do want to watch some business people do some tap dancing. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Read this article. It's called "The Sea Monkeys and the White Supremacist." It was in the L.A. Times on October first, two thousand. Written by Tamar Brot who did a pretty good job of like, oh, yeah. just some good old fashioned like, um, like like footwork, uh, or legwork going to 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 pound the the beat, <laughs> pound the beat with the with the footwork, sniff them off the case. You know what I'm saying?
0: All right. Well, let's take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're talking about uh, we're going to talk about where things stand today in the fight over the uh, rights and the fortune of the sea monkeys
1: if you want to know then you're in luck just listen up to, to josh, josh and chuck stuff you should know stuff you should
0: Alright, so, we know what happened, uh, actually, how did he die? I didn't even see that.
1: I didn't see that either. Um, hmm. he died in 2003, but I'm not sure why.
0: Alright, so he died. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but he left behind his wife, uh, Yolanda, uh, Signorelli von Braunhut.
1: Did you look her up? Oh yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, she was, uh, she was an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, sort of a, sort of like a pinup bombshell, B movie actress. Is that she, fair to say?
1: Yeah, it's fairish. I had also seen her movies as described as adult films as well. I'm <laughs> not <Okay, well>, sure. <laughs> um, she was in a movie. Uh, I got to see this one. It's called Love After Death, and it's a soft core zombie flick. Oh, well, that's from sweet. from the sixties. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, she's a pretty interesting person in, in her own right as well.
0: Yeah, and she says for her, uh as far as the Aryan nation stuff, she says, like, I never knew and saw this side of him. So I don't know if she's being uh, on the level or if she's just um, kind of quashing this and covering for him. Well, it's kind of not clear to me.
1: I saw, I don't know if it was in that New York Times article or in the the 1988 Washington Post article, but his first wife was contacted and interviewed for it. And she was like, what are you guys talking about? Really? Yeah. So who knows? Maybe he did just keep the, he was clearly somebody who could compartmentalize the different parts (laughs) of his personality. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he really did just leave, leave the wives out of it.
0: Man, how, how could you not know something like that? That's crazy. Just going, I, going to Idaho
1: on my yearly trip. Yeah. That's weird. He always goes to Idaho when the <laughs> Aryan nation assembles.
0: All right. So, um, Yolanda Signarelli von, uh, Braunhut mm-hmm. lived and I think still lives in, or at least as, as of two years ago when this article came out in the Potomac River estate in Southern Maryland, but she is, um, She's, she's, she's broke. Yeah. Basically, yep. she has no electricity, no running water. And she has been in, uh, been in a legal battle with, uh, big time toys and their chief executive, Sam Harwell, for basically several years trying to get money because big time toys says, this is our company
1: now. Yeah, big time toys sounds like a, I'd be nervous about going into business with them. I'm more of a basic fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> big time toys sounds like they're moving too fast for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, so, um, so Yolanda, uh, Braunhut has, she's got kind of like a, a great gardens thing going on mm-hmm. right now against her will. This is not something she's happy about at all. And her position is, as far as the times tells it, is, that she engaged in a licensing deal, which is how sea monkeys have been produced basically since the beginning mm-hmm. with a company, with that company, Big Time Toys, where they would handle the packaging and the distribution. Mm-hmm. And her company, her own little company, um, would handle making the actual sea monkeys that, the, that were, that were put into the packaging that Big Time Toys sold, right? So Big Time Toys would buy the sea monkeys that they would put into the packages and then would turn around and sell to the public. That was the arrangement initially.
0: Right. So we have the secret formula that no one else has seemed to be been able to crack.
1: This is Yolanda talking.
0: Yeah. Should I have done my Yolanda voice? Yeah, let's hear it. I don't know what she sounds like.
1: High-pitched Italian stereotype. Let's
0: hear it, Chuck. No, no, no. Uh, she – it would offend, like, three different groups of people if I yeah, did that. Yeah, yeah, I think you would. Um, she she basically said, we have the secret formula, the only one that works, that can keep these things alive. Everyone else has tried and failed. And so we will sell these to you, and you can do everything else and cut me a check. Uh, and there was also a side deal that said you can buy this company, including the secret formula, mm-hmm. for $5 bucks up front – and then another $5 million in installments. And so big time basically called her up a few years ago, probably about five years ago at this point, if my math is right, mm-hmm. and said, um, you know what? All these payments we've been making to you um, for the licensing deal, we just kind of consider that layaway. And as far as we're concerned, we own Sea Monkeys now.
1: Yeah, we've reached that five million dollar point, so they're ours.
0: Which ostensibly should not have been that money. It should have been separate payments. Right. If I understand this correctly.
1: But I mean, when somebody does that, what are you going to do? You got to go sue them. Right. And that's what they're doing, and they're bleeding this lady dry, at least as far as this, this New York Times, um, profile is concerned. Uh, and, I mean, if, if you get into a fight like that and you don't have the money, you can lose. So this is a, this could be a sad end to the Sea Monkey, um, saga. Because here's the other problem. You might be saying to yourself, well, why doesn't she just not sell them the Sea Monkeys anymore? Well, she did. She stopped when they stopped making payments and said they owned the Sea Monkey brand. And it turned out that in this court case, um, that big, big, big time toys. <laughs> yeah had been buying knockoff sea monkeys from China, and then that's what they were putting into the sea monkey thing. So apparently if you're buying, if you buy a, currently a, a sea monkey package, you're getting big-time toys packaging and um, Chinese knockoff sea monkey packets.
0: Which don't work, apparently. I went and looked at Amazon reviews, mm-hmm. and almost all of them for all the products said, None of them hatched or they hatched for like a day. These things stink. When I was a kid, they worked. So it, it's weird that – um it's sort of ironic that they ended up creating this special breed, essentially, right. that worked. And that ended up being their undoing because in court, in the affidavit, uh, the leader, this Harwell guy, whose wife, by the way, is the head uh, – She's a speaker of the House of the Tennessee House of Representatives. Oh, yeah. So, th- yeah, they're, they're a power family. Okay. All the way around, not to be trifled with. Uh, in his affidavit, he says he outsourced, uh, the sea monkeys to China and says there are seven recognized species of, uh, Artemia brine shrimp and this is not one of them. So because they had created their own, uh, species, mm-hmm. it ended up being their undoing at court, it looks like because it doesn't officially exist as a real species that these guys are getting.
1: Yeah, but I'm pretty sure he got a patent on the species that they they made.
0: Well, no, that's what I'm saying, though, but he's not getting that species.
1: Oh, I see. He's
0: getting these, well, they're not knockoffs. They're Mother Nature's own sure, sure, from China, yeah, right. but, but they're not the ones that are working.
1: Right, I got gotcha.
0: you. So it's just a mess.
1: But then still, doesn't that, like, raise questions about how you could use the sea monkey's name or something? That's what like I that? wondered. But I guess if they had the license to use the sea monkey's name because they were in charge of packaging and distribution. Maybe. Then, yeah, I guess they could say, well, we're not going to use the official ones any longer. We're going to use these natural ones. Man, what a mess.
0: Well, and it's a mess, too, because you're like, oh, do I root for the side of this guy who was a, a white nationalist? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, his wife says she didn't know anything about that and she's going broke and has, has been basically had this company stolen from her. It seems like, yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't know what to think.
1: Or do you root for the guys who are sh- apparently stealing the company from Big time the Toys, widow of the white <laughs> nationalist? Can't you know? root for Big Time Toys. Yeah, you know what I predict, though, Chuck. I predict that Sea Monkeys, the brand, will ultimately rise above this. That it will it will survive this somehow and still be around twenty, thirty years from now.
0: The Sea Monkeys will take over. <laughs>
1: yeah, they will eventually <laughs> overthrow the human race. Like the Aryans plotted to overthrow the U.S. government. What a story. It's quite a story. That was a good one, man. Thanks for digging this up. Sure. Well, if you want to know more about sea monkeys, just start digging around, pulling at the loose threads. You're going to find some interesting stuff. And since I said interesting stuff, that means it's time for a listener mail.
0: I'm going to call this uh, Pompeian Mm -hmm. lemons. Is that how you would say it, Pompeian?
1: Yeah, I thought that was beautiful.
0: All right. Long-time listener, first-time emailer, guys. Recently listened to the Pompeii show. Very informative. Uh, and I used to be a tour guide in Europe and led close to 15 tours on the Amalfi Coast, Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius. Nice. I listened to Josh's experience uh, with the lemons. They do, in fact, grow to be the size of your head. However, those gigantic lemons are actually called cedri and are more for show than anything.
1: They're called cedri the entertainer. <laughs>
0: If you ever cut one in half, the inside is actually about the size of a normal lemon. Uh, the rind can be a few inches thick. And boy, are they bitter. Uh, definitely not something you keep around for lemonade. Uh, just something I wanted to share.
1: Thanks for ruining everything <laughs> for me.
0: Uh, and uh, also another thought. Uh, the other day in the car, have e- either of you just said no when one of you asked for a commercial break? Thought it'd no. be funny if one of you just
1: said, nah, <laughs> We've come close. We have, haven't we? I don't know. Did it not make it into an episode? It might Maybe. not have. We have, and we just edited that part out and kept going. I mm. think.
0: Well, that is from Matt McDonald,
1: uh, who is a software developer at NeoCloud. Thanks a lot, Matt. Um, I think I was kind of disappointed to read that email originally, but whatever. I guess you got to just live with reality, right? You have made an enemy today. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and ruin our reality like Matt did you can tweet to us I'm at Josh Clark. there's also an SYSK podcast Twitter handle I also have a website called RUSeriesClark.com. Chuck, your friend Chuck is at facebook.com slash charleswchuckbryant there's also a facebook.com slash stuffyoushouldknow site you can send all of us including Jerry an email to StuffPodcast at howstuffworks.com and as always join us at our home on the web stuffyoushouldknow.com